Open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to do a verse-by-verse study through the first 12 verses. This Christmas Eve, we will look at three different areas of the birth of our Lord. We'll look at misconceptions of the wise men and the timing of their visitation. Who are the Magi? That's another word for wise men. How did they know to follow a star that would lead them to a king? In Matthew 2, uh, we see three Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. Every year, um, the Bible is dumbed down more and more and more. Every year, um, people are adding to and taking away what they want to. More than ever, we're seeing a gravitation towards uh, people attending fellowships that basically uh, tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. And a lot of the times, they don't get into teaching prophetic issues. We have three prophecies in this one chapter tonight. In verse 6, and in verse 15, and verse 18. So the very birth of Christ is loaded with Bible prophecy. There's more to Micah chapter 5. We have, well, now I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, But um, we're going to see that prophecy um, um, gives us the ability to give straightforward answers to people who are honestly looking for truth. And Claire couldn't have set it up any better when he said, seek the Lord. Because this whole Bible study is going to be around that very idea of why and what the Lord really wants us to do. So with that, let's just read the first verse, Matthew 2. And let me um, point out that between chapter 1, verse 25, and chapter 2, verse 1, there's a gap of time. Uh, We read in verse 25 of chapter 1, Um, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. Now, that's his birth, and this is what we talked about on Sunday, the birth of our Lord in Bethlehem. Now we have a gap of time. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, And I'm just going to stop with that one verse and have you um, um, just address this issue of this this gap of time. And in verse 2, they have this question, where is he who was born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star? Well, here's the first misconception that we have. I'm going to put something on the the screen right now. And it's what you you typically see the nativity scene with um, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and the wise men standing around them. Um, Everybody seen manger scenes like this? Okay, it's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. And the reason it's not biblical is because we read uh, in what we studied on Sunday that Jesus was born in a manger. Here we have wise men coming, 
And if you look at verse 11, it says, when they came into the house. Remember, there was no room in the inn. But all of a sudden, we have a gap of time where the wise men were not there. They were never part of the, the, the birth of Christ. We have as much as two years that it could have passed until the wise men showed up. But they knew how to get there. And the question is, how did they know? Who told them about the star? And how, usually, can you see the star there? The star wasn't there when Jesus was born. When we were talking about the birth of Jesus on Sunday in the shepherd's field, the angel appeared to him. There was no star that was shining down at that time, but there is here. So the first point that we want to make tonight is there's a gap of time between these kings um, that are called wise men, and it begs the question, who are they? And how did they find out? A um, little background I have to give before I believe um, um, I know the answer to this. I won't be dogmatic about it, but as we lay it out, I think you'll see it unfold. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's in Babylon. The ruler of the world at this time, remember that the wise men, the reason for their coming is they're looking for the king of the Jews. And if I summarize um, chapter 2, we have the most powerful man in the world is Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a dream. He sees this image. Has a head of gold, chest of silver, um, bronze, uh, um, thighs, and then um, clay and for the, the, the toes and legs. And basically, it's a dream that he has that none of the wise men in Babylon could answer. So he calls them out and he said, what, what good are you guys? And he tells them that they're all going to be killed. Well, Daniel was part of the wise men that were in Babylon at this time. He goes to the Lord and says, Lord, if you don't give us the interpretation of this, this dream, we're all, all dead. And the Lord gives the interpretation. And we find, as a result of it, I'll just summarize what he dreamed. The image, the head of gold, was Nebuchadnezzar. But he says that Babylon was going to be conquered by another country. And we find out in history that would have been the Medes and the Persians. After that, um, the Medes and the Persians, another part of the figure, another world empire would have been um, the Grecian, Alexander the Great. And after that would rise another world empire, the Roman. The Roman Empire would have been in power during the time that Jesus was born. Now, when Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar the dream, I want you to see his response in verse 46 of chapter two. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Uh, The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is a God of gods, the Lord of kings. He's a revealer of secrets since you could reveal the secret. 
Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over the wise men. Now begin to think this through. He is the chief administrator over the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel petitioned the king that his three friends would also be promoted. So what we have in chapter two is Daniel becoming the second most powerful person on planet Earth. Now turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter nine and look at verse one. We're going from the Babylonian Empire now to the Medo-Persian Empire. And we find here in the first year of Darius, the first year of Darius would have been the Medes and the Persians. Darius would have been the king. Um, the book of Daniel isn't necessary, necessarily in a chronological order. But the reason I wanted to point out Darius, it was Darius was the man who first came and um, developed the idea of what we call the Magi. Um, the Magi were over civil and political and religious rule in the Persian Empire. They had a lot of authority. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of clout. And what we read in the chapter before, chapter uh, 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 to be rulers over the whole kingdom. And word got out that he was thinking about making Daniel over all of them. And you all know the story that um, they, uh, these 120 other rulers get Daniel thrown into the lion's den and uh, the Lord intercedes for him and as a result, he now is elevated and he has his own decree about Daniel and if you read, let's go to verse 25, Darius is the man responsible for establishing what we would call today the wise men or the magi. Now, Daniel, if we, let's pick it up, um, verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. He's a, he's a ruler over the whole world. Uh, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom, now remember we're talking about kingdoms here, and only kingdoms that are gonna be world dominating kingdoms with a king over them. I hope you can kinda of see where I'm going here. Uh, his kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion shall uh, endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the, the power of the lions? So, this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel becomes number two ruler over the entire world, not only the Babylonians, but also the Medes and the Persians, and all the wise men. He had a title given to him by Darius. It's Rab, R-A-B, dash, Meg. Um, Rab, Meg, which means 
the chief of the Magi. So all these wise men that Darius had elevated and given all this authority and power politically and religiously and militarily, might I add, that's going to explain why everybody was so freaked out when these wise men came back to Jerusalem. So here's what I believe happened. Just as the Lord revealed to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream, all the nations that would have world-ruling domination with one king over them, apparently the Lord gave Daniel a dream or a vision of a star that would be entrusted to some part, remember he's the chief of the Magi's over all of them, to a certain sect, he gave them um, the kingdom that's gonna be above all kingdoms. And if we go back now, it'll make, with that much of a background, let's go back to Matthew chapter two and, and ask the question, here we have wise men, another misconception. We, we say, how many kings? We three kings. I looked up the words today. Google it out. We three kings from Mori and R. It doesn't say there were three kings. It just says kings, plural. It's inferred that there were three because there was three different gifts that were given. But if you look at verse three, the effect of these wise men coming into the city of Jerusalem, they want to know, they want to know where is he who is born king of the Jews? And we have seen his star. It begs the question. How did they know there was gonna be a king of the Jews? And how did they know uh, about the star that they were to follow who gave them that information? I believe with all my heart it came from Daniel because he was top dog. He was the chief rat guy over the Magi. So in these prophecies, let's take it, we read here, um, when Herod heard these things, he was troubled. Um, We find, oh, let's see, that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. You think three guys on three camels riding into town is going to cause fear and trembling, not only with Herod, but in the whole city? No, this, this was an entourage. This was a whole military assessment to protect themselves on their journey from Persia through Roman land into the city. They were fearful when, when the wise men show up. All right, now verses, um, well, let's do four through six. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, this is Herod, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah. And here's the first prophecy that's quoted. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They're only touching on part of this prophecy. So I want you to turn quickly to the book um, of Micah. I'll give you a second to get there. There's Bibles right in front of you. Micah chapter five, I wish I could go verse by verse through this whole thing, but I'm gonna give you the, the Reader Digest version here. What's quoted in Micah 5, 2 is his birth. But verse one speaks about the day that he was beaten. Uh, now gather your troops 
O daughters of troops, and lay siege against us, they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on his cheek. That's a prophecy. That prophecy, if you're taking notes, is in Mark 15, verse 19. So the first verse is about his death. The second verse is about his birth. The third verse is about his rejection. John 1, verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Therefore he will give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. The implication here is a a dispersion. Um, Six through nine clarifies it even more that they are um, dispersed and that they would reject their Messiah when he came. Verses four and five is the whole work that the Lord did while he was here. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. This talks about his ministry. Verse one, his death. Verse two, his birth. Um, uh, the rest of this here, his ministry was that of peace, but then it goes on even to the second coming. I'm not going to read all these verses, but it talks about their dispersion um, uh, going into all the world. Verse six, they shall waste um, the sword uh, and the land of Nimrod as it, its entrance. Then he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads upon our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of the people. So if they're returning, it means they had to have left. You have the whole New Testament in Micah chapter five, not just verse two that talks about his verse. You ever hear the expression, the wandering Jews? This is where it comes from. After 70 AD, Jesus said, um, the temple's going to be destroyed and you will not see one stone left upon another. And then he tells them why. He says, because you didn't know the time of my coming. The implication there is they should have known because if I would read all of Daniel 9, it tells you to the very day that Jesus would be accepted as a Jewish Messiah. But they missed it. So what happens? They're dispersed. But he says he's gonna bring them back. Honest question. Yes or no answer. Did God bring the Jews back to Israel? Yes. 71 years today. May 14th, 1948, David, David Ben-Gurion stood up and said, I declare this nation the nation of Israel. The Lord said it was gonna happen, and again, Bible prophecy being fulfilled. But the very reason for it is that they should have known when the Messiah was to be born. So, This was too rich, you can go back now. They just quote one verse. They want to know one thing. Where's the king of the Jews? Where's it it going to be born? Oh, prophecy says it's going to be Bethlehem. And then uh, let's pick it up in verse um, seven. Seven and eight talks about Herod. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So we definitely have now a star different from the birth of the Lord. This is 
anywhere from a year to possibly two years later that these guys are showing up. And now, Herod, let, let me just give you a little bit about who, who is Herod anyway. Well, first of all, he's not a Jew. Um, he's a Roman client. He's the king of Judea. He was born in 73 BC. He died in 4 AD. And uh, we're going to read on a little bit farther that um, Herod is going to want to destroy these um, children that are in Bethlehem two years and younger. So again, we have a a different uh, frame of time here. He ruled um, as king of Judah from 37 B.C. till his death in 4 A.D. Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Well, that's, that's a sham. He wants to know who his threat is so he can take his threat out. Herod was, um, when, when, when our guide Zev was talking about Herod, he was talking about his insecurity and his insanity. It said it was safer to be um, a pet of Herod than to be one of his wives. He killed his, his, he killed his own son. And um, he was extremely paranoid. But he was um, a great builder and responsible for, for um, um, the temple that Jesus was talking about there. All right, back to verse nine, uh, 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, and I want you to kind of vision this in your mind. They were told by somebody that the king of kings, of all kingdoms, the greatest kingdom, is gonna be born. And if you follow his star, it'll take you to, to the place. So now they get a report from Herod, go to Bethlehem, and when you find him, let me know so I can go worship him, him too. This star had to be directional, okay? Because on Sunday, remember, we put up uh, a picture of J- Jerusalem, So this star is unique, and you can go online and there's a million different theories about what this star was. Um, God could have just supernaturally spoken it and he would have created it. That could be it. Could be an angel. Um, In the book of Job, it says, all the stars of heaven sang when the Lord laid the foundation of of the earth. Could have been an angel. Whatever it was, it was directional because it was over a particular house. It was over this house. So whatever the light was here, it was shining to one spot. And that's verse 10, when they came into the house, and when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down, and they worshiped him when they had opened their treasures. Now try to put yourself with these men. They've had this knowledge passed down from them all the way from the time of Daniel a certain sect of the Magi. And I think their whole life, they thought, I wonder if we're the generation. I wonder if we're gonna be the ones that get to see it. And all of a sudden, they have a dream. They're familiar with dreams. They're they're gonna be warned in a dream not to go to see Herod, but go home 
a different way. So they're familiar with um, miracles and dreams and visions. This all goes back to Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream about world-dominating empires. And if you count them all, there's seven. You have to go back to um, Egypt, would have been the first. Uh, The Assyrians, two. Then Babylon comes on the scene. Then Medo-Persia. Then Alexander the Great and his four generals. Then the Roman Empire. Then it speaks of this one that's right around the corner that I'm going to be talking about on Sunday, how the world is very quickly calling for, and none other than the Pope himself, for a one-world religion and a one-world government. You know that Daniel predicted the very thing in the last end of days? And he's taken it past that, and he says, but there's going to be another kingdom that's going to be an everlasting kingdom. That's what these guys are after. That's, that's what they want to know. And so we read here that because he's a king, they, they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And um, uh, the gold represents his, his kingship. Uh, the, the frankincense, uh, most of the book of Hebrews is uh, talking to Jewish people why Jesus is their high priest. And then myrrh, which is going to be for representative of his burial. Would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 60? And believe it or not, we're almost done here. Isaiah chapter 60, some of you are saying, I don't believe it. <laughs> Isaiah 60 talks about this kingdom. During the kingdom age, we read in verse one, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, now we're in the picture. Remember Jesus said, uh, first of all, said salvation is of the Jews. They totally were blown away when Cornelius was baptized in the Holy Spirit and saved. Gentiles could be saved? Unthinkable. And yet it says the Gentiles shall come into the light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Now the Lord is reigning during the millennial reign and look what they're bringing for gifts. And verse six, the multitude of camels shall cover your land the Dramadans, the Midians, the Ephes, and all those from Sheba shall come, and they'll bring what? Gold and incense. They're going to be continually bringing gifts. What's missing? Myrrh. Because one of the main verses in, in Hebrews is that he died once for all time. And there's one mediator, the Bible says, between God and man. You realize you don't have to go through any person, join any institution that you have direct access where the Lord says, come boldly into his presence. And you can um, take that and um, he says, you have not because you asked not. And you have that ability given to you. And um, what's been left out here, of course, is the, the myrrh because he never will die again. Christmas Eve, 2019, I can't believe it. 
After the service, many of you will meet with family and friends. Uh, you'll exchange gifts. I realize that some, some um, of the younger people, when I was younger, we always went to church on Christmas Eve. And all I could think of what was underneath the tree and when is that preacher going to shut up anyway? <laughs> and I understand that there's, there's young, young, very young people here and it's way, way over their head. But there's others of you here that are going to be thinking a little bit differently. Who were the Magi? How did they know? How did they know there was going to be a future king of the Jews? And who told them about the star in the first place? That all goes back to the guy who was the chief of the Magi, Daniel himself. By the way, Daniel chapter 12 tells us the exact day of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me just touch on this quickly. Daniel 9 tells you to the very day, April 6, 32 AD, when Jesus would allow himself to be worshipped. The only time he allowed it. Every other time he'd say, nope, don't worship. This time, the religious leaders rebuked Jesus and they said, rebuke these people. They think you're the Messiah. He says, I can't. If I do, the very stones will cry out. Somebody was going to be worshiping the Lord that day. And if the people weren't, then the stones would. And then he goes on and explains they should have known. They should have known the prophecy in Zechariah about your king coming to you humbly and lowly on a colt. They should have known that was a, um, a, a red flag indicator that the Messiah <clears throat> had actually come. So we know the date April 632 A.D., Sir Robert Anderson, the head of Scotland Yard at all, the math, if you want to get his book, it's, again, more uh, evidence, more facts, more truth uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. But the last two verses of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, says it will be 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation and you have the second coming. So what are you saying, Dwight? Well, the Bible tells you to the day that Jesus would come, first time. It tells us to the day when he'll return at the battle of Armageddon. But there's this interesting verse in Matthew 24 talking about the Lord's return where he says, no man knows the day or the hour. And some say, well, that's referring to the first coming or the second coming. No, we know the days to both of those. What don't we know the day or the hour of? The rapture of the church. I said a word that some people never heard before. And it's an event that I think that, that has to take place before this world gets too, I'm just amazed that we're still here with as bad as, bad as it is right now. But no man knows the day or the hour of the rapture of the church. It's what we call imminent. What does that mean? It means it could happen. Now, that would be a nice Christmas present for me, personally. I would take that one hands down. But I got sidetracked because as family, you're going to go home and you're going to exchange gifts tonight. And I'll close with this question. If you could give the Lord a gift, what do you think he would ask for? It's not what people do at the day after Christmas. Hey, what would you get for Christmas? I got a Paul Mall piece of coal, just so you know. You liked it, Tom? Yeah. He wasn't too happy with it, but, you know, it's what I could afford, at least for Paul. 
my wife got some, a lot of nice stuff, but not Paul. If you could give the Lord anything, what do you think he would ask for? If you want the answer to that question, turn with me to Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Claire said in his closing statement, seek the Lord. What does the Lord really want from us? He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to be number one in your life. And here we are another Christmas Eve and I thank the Lord for sustaining us. And the only thing that we can really offer him besides um, seeking him, and I'll close with this scripture, is what the other part about our service here tonight, and that is singing to him, singing about him, and making it directional towards him. Um, verse 15 of Hebrews 13 Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. I can't do any work, because he's done it all. But what I need to have is what I like to call this attitude of gratitude. Just always being thankful. That, um, as Claire said, this this isn't a walk in a park. The Christian life is hard. And you have two natures, and they're at war with one another. One's the Holy Spirit and one's your flesh. And they hate each other. And the one you feed is the one that's going to win. We have this saying, uh, not only that we praise him and give him thanks, but we have this saying even to this day that I'll close with. Wise men still seek him. But you better know your, your Bible. You better be able to defend it. Uh, let me add, to make sure I'm really politically correct in the times in which we live, <laughs> men and women are wise men, okay? <laughs> wise men and women still seek him. Good place for an amen. amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as we just think about it, about these men that we read over so quickly, Manger scenes don't have it right. Uh, They weren't there. They knew something from generation that these men were wise. And they probably, every day of their life, wondered if they were the generation that was going to see the star and follow it to the place where the king of the Jews would be born and of his kingdom, the one that we're heirs to, is an everlasting kingdom that will reign and last forever and ever and ever. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless the rest of our night with family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen. I would take that one hands down. But I got sidetracked because as family, you're going to go home and you're going to exchange gifts tonight. And I'll close with this question. If you could give the Lord a gift, what do you think he would ask for? It's not what people do the day after Christmas. Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? I got uh, Paul Mall, a piece of coal. 
just so you know. You liked it, Tom? Yeah. He wasn't too happy with it, but, you know, it's what I could afford, at least for Paul. My wife got some, a lot of nice stuff, but not Paul. If you could give the Lord anything, what do you think he would ask for? If you want the answer to that question, turn with me to Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Claire said in his closing statement, seek the Lord. What does the Lord really want from us? He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to be number one in your life. And here we are another Christmas Eve and I thank the Lord for sustaining us. And the only thing that we can really offer him besides um, seeking him, and I'll close with this scripture, is what the other part about our service here tonight, and that is singing to him, singing about him, and making it directional towards him. Um, verse 15 of Hebrews 13 Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. I can't do any work, because he's done it all. But what I need to have is this, what I like to call this attitude of gratitude, just always being thankful. That, um, as Claire said, this, this isn't a walk in a park. The Christian life is hard. And you have two natures, and they're at war with one another. One's the Holy Spirit, and one's your flesh. And they hate each other. And the one you feed is the one that's going to win. We have this saying, uh, not only that we praise him and give him thanks, but we have this saying, even to this day, that I'll close with. Wise men still seek him. But you better know your, your Bible. You better be able to defend it. Uh, let me add, to make sure I'm really politically correct in the times in which we live, <laughs> men and women are wise men, okay? <laughs> wise men and women still seek him. Good place for an amen. amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as we just think about it, about these men that we read over so quickly, Manger scenes don't have it right. Uh, They weren't there. They knew something from generation that these men were wise. And they probably, every day of their life, wondered if they were the generation that was going to see the star and follow it to the place where the king of the Jews would be born and of his kingdom, the one that we're heirs to, is an everlasting kingdom that will reign and last forever and ever and ever. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless the rest of our night with family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen.